Assalamualaikum guys. Hey everyone, it's your host Rebecca from the Unspoken Truths of Mental Health. We're back again today with one of my co-hosts, Taba, and a very special guest. Her name's Sabina. I'm going to let her introduce herself in a moment. And this week's topic is bullying. And I know that's currently been quite a hot topic uh, going viral on social media. So I thought it was ideal for this podcast. Um, Sabina, you want to introduce yourself? Um, hi everyone, I'm Sabina and I am a qualified counsellor and I'm an advocate and I work primarily with um, children and young people. So oh, that's interesting. Uh, well, yeah, most of the time. Um, as an advocate, I mostly work with um, children and teenagers that are either in care or whose families are working with social services. Um, I take their voices to all the meetings about them and can act as a go-between for the young people and either their key workers, social workers, or even their parents. So okay, it, it cool. is a very interesting job. Hey, are you here? Yes. Hello, everyone. Assalamu alaikum. Um, thank you, Sabina, for joining us today and welcome to episode six of our podcast. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Um, would you be able to share, Sabina, some of the accounts you've heard with regards to bullying during your <clears throat> advocacy work? Um, sure. As a lot of the work that I do is confidential, I can't really sort of give specifics. But um, I have worked with a few uh, children and teenagers who have been bullied and, um, it, and seen kind of firsthand the detrimental effects that it has on their mental health. Um, I've worked with... Um, one uh, teenage boy who actually no longer goes to school oh. despite schools and mum's best efforts to try and get him in because he's being um he's being bullied there's rumors coming up about him left right and center and even when he's at home he's constantly getting messages or um sort of whatsapps and stuff that are really quite unkind and it's um making him retreat into himself and at this point, he's barely interacting with anyone outside of his immediate family. And it can be very, very isolating. And I think that's the general theme for most of the kids that I work with that have gone through bullying. They're just very alone, very lonely, and oftentimes just look forward to not having to go to school or not having to go to the places where the bullying takes, where the bullying happens. Wow, it does sound incredibly lonely. And um, I'm just wondering, you know, what, what do you feel that parents or caregivers could do to help these children or these individuals? I think the main thing that parents um, can do is, or caregivers can do, is really listen to their children and just have conversations with them. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> and I know that probably sounds really obvious, but... Um, it's important to actually hear what they're saying and notice if there's behavioral changes or if um, your child is withdrawn um, more than usual. Hmm. And also allowing your child to set their own boundaries. So if they, if you can see that something's wrong and they're not ready to talk about it, give them the choice, tell them that it's okay to come and talk to you when they're ready because with bullying, a lot of that is their boundaries are being crossed and people are um, doing things to them that they don't want done or saying things or, um, you know, whatever way that bullying is taking place. So the last thing they need 
um, is to also have their choice and their boundaries taken away when they're at home. So being a safe adult for them, having giving them the safe space to go and talk about it when they're ready and so that they know that they can come to you. Mm. That's really insightful. Thank you for sharing that. And I think, um, you know, just to expand on that, I, f I feel that what you're saying is that they need autonomy because where they're being bullied, the bullies are taking away um, the child that's being bullied autonomy. As you said, they're in their space and um, it's uncomfortable. So, of course, um, it then becomes so paramount that they have a safe adult mm -hmm. absolutely, to be able to open up and, and share. <clears throat> And do you feel that um, there's sometimes more subtle um, bullying that might be taking place, you know, where with the use of social media, for example, and um, how it's probably transformed over the last 15, 20 years, bullying itself? Absolutely. Um, 15, 20 years ago, um, social media was just kind of becoming a thing. Everyone didn't have phones. Uh, WhatsApp wasn't really massive uh, around at the time at all so when you were being bullied at school you could leave school and the bullying would stay there mm. so at least when you went home you had that break and that respite from anything that was going on now it just it follows you everywhere you go because kids have phones from a very young age a lot of them have smartphones most of them that I've worked with is younger sort of 10 have already got whatsapp the phone is always by their bed and so it's forever pinging and all mm. of that stuff is always going on and it can be a very negative environment because they can't get away from it yeah. at any point <clears throat> yeah that i can only imagine how suffocating that must feel for the individual because as you say there's no respite it never seems to end absolutely i guess that probably goes hand in hand with suicide rates then in, in youngsters uh, they've definitely gone up over the last uh, two decades and I do think this is a large part of it and you touched on social media again their pictures are always perfect everything is you're sort of always shown what perfection is what you're supposed to look like how you're supposed to act what you're supposed to wear mm. and this is a lot of pressure for young people and that's the same uh, for boys and girls um, trying to fit in trying to be perfect trying to show that same perfect lifestyle that you're constantly seeing and it's it's absolutely exhausting and I think it's making kids grow up a lot faster yeah. they don't have the freedom to just be children they're always trying to fit in and do more and be more I don't think that's just for children I think that's for adults as well like social media is a very toxic place for anybody really it sucks you in. It makes you see people's life from the outside perspective that their life is perfect and it kind of magnifies your flaws and the flaws in your lifestyle and it gives people ammunition to bully you on several platforms. Like, the bullying just doesn't stop. Absolutely. Yeah. Think like, I'm thinking... Sorry. I'm thinking, when my daughter grows up and I give her a phone, how do I protect her? How do I protect her from that toxic environment like if she's getting bullied in school and then she has a phone and it just gets worse like what can you do as a parent I don't know that there's an awful lot you can do to prevent that unfortunately because yeah. if 
the bullying is going to happen, then it's going to happen regardless of what you're doing. It's just being there for your daughter and being able to sort of lies with schools and parents of the kids that are doing the bullying to try and prevent it. Yeah, but schools these days, they don't do much. Like there was a viral uh, post going around on Instagram of a young boy named Abdul Rahim. Um, he was getting bullied in school. Um, I, I assumed the school didn't do anything about it because it was a reoccurring thing. And he got really badly beaten, so much so that he tried to run away from the school. And as he was climbing over the fence, his finger got caught and it came off, like it got severed. And they found the finger, took him to hospital. Uh, his mum was not there until very later on because they told her she couldn't come and there was some miscommunication there. And unfortunately, he had to have his finger amputated because it, he just couldn't fix it. And that's some that's a trauma that he has to live with for the rest of his life. And the school didn't do much about it. <clears throat> no, absolutely. I've... Um... I've heard about this this particular young man, and it sound, it does sound like the school completely failed him because he went to mum and he told her what was going on. And if I recall correctly, she went to the school and said something, but nothing was ever really done. But unfortunately, with schools, they usually have one, maybe two safeguarding um, personnel in the entire school. And although teachers should also um, sort of be, be doing more to make sure that the kids in their class aren't being bullied and that they are safe. A lot of the time the teachers are overwhelmed and overworked and they have a lot of children that they look after and one to two can always slip through the cracks and it's just very sad that this is the extent to which that school failed him. It's been really insightful speaking with you Sabina and um, I personally don't have uh, any further questions. I feel that you've touched on some really important factors and given us some pointers about how we can navigate bullying if it's happening to anyone around us. Um, and even just becoming more aware about social media and the negative impact it has on a person's mental health, whether that's a child or an adult. And um, it's given me uh, food for thought, something to take away and just become more mindful of because sometimes subconsciously you, you don't realize as Rebecca said you just sucked in you might have gone on there for a specific purpose but then you end up seeing people's lives and that's like just a moment in their entire life mm -hmm. that they have paused frozen posed for a picture that's not their life and you know you could do the same but you don't know what's happening behind closed doors and so it's really important to become aware of that and I think as you mentioned about schools I guess um you know, I think there has been talk uh, in recent months about. Um, I, I was seeing on the on the um, British British Association for um, Counselors as well that there's been um, you know surveys and some movements taking place towards having counselors in schools. Yeah. Is that something you've heard of? Yes, uh, the British Association of Counselors and Psychotherapists are currently doing a big push to. Um, get the government to essentially fund putting counsellors into uh, schools, colleges, and I believe universities, but I could be wrong on that third one, um, in order to help with the mental health of the students. Um, a lot of schools already do this, but largely they do have to fund that themselves because the government hasn't made it a must. Um, and the schools that do have this generally have 
better rounded children because they can have that extra support. But even so, there's always more children that a counsellor is able to take on on their own. And there's waiting lists even inside schools. And I think this is a really big problem for young people. Mm. So it's a step in the right direction. It's come very, very late, it feels. But better late than never. I think the most concerning part is that it hasn't actually happened yet. Mm. And it does very much depend on our government and whether or not they're willing to fund this program. And um, I'm genuinely hoping that they do because it is so, so important. And with all of the push around education currently happening and kids potentially needing to spend more time in school if this bill passes, mm. then that mental health support for children is gonna be even more important than it is now. I think the government's priority is um, having secret COVID parties <laughs> and those lockdowns. So, so I think this is a priority to them. But, <laughs> but yeah, definitely to have counsellors in school. Looking back at my childhood, um, I was I grew up in a predominantly um, white area. I was the only uh, Muslim girl that wore hijab in my school, and. I got bullied left, right, and centre. There's no like, there's like, I can't even like make it sound nice. And there was nothing really there for me because all the teachers were white. They didn't understand. Um, the comments that were made were not just racist, they were Islamophobic too. And, you know, I remember on my first day in year seven, um, I was really excited to be wearing the hijab. I was, you know, like, I was really passionate about it. You know, like how you see in movies how the, the child that's getting bullied is in the middle and everyone's surrounding them in the playground and laughing at them. That was me. And then since that day, I remember I went home and I cried to my mum and she said, maybe you shouldn't wear it. So then I didn't wear my hijab. I took it off for the fact that, you know, I wanted to fit in. and I didn't want to get bullied anymore. I still had people make comments because I was too tanned to be white and I was too fair to be Asian. It was like I didn't fit in anywhere. And then... When I got to year nine again, I did wear my hijab again and I still got bullied. And the bullying never really stopped. It was just something that was constant. You just kind of get a thick skin. But nowadays, children aren't as thick skinned as we were or our, you know, the other generation were. So when my daughter goes to school, if she gets bullied, I don't really know what advice I would give her. I'd, I'm the kind of mum that would probably be like, if someone punches you, you punch them back. So- <laughs> I don't know if that's the best advice, but I guess when we get to that stage, I'll see what advice I give her. But what what do you do? Like when if your daughter comes to you, your child comes to you and says, "Mom, you know these people have been making these comments to me." What do I do as a parent at that point? If the schools are failing their students, because there was another case of a girl who she was on her period and she got strip searched because they thought she had weed on her in in the room five police officers that got called into the school, the teachers were there and they strip searched her. They made her take her underwear off. Like, how can it go to that extent? Like, how am I supposed to think that my children are going to be safe in the schools because their teachers are supposed to look after them, the police are supposed to look after them, but they're not. Mm-hmm. I remember that- this case well, and it it makes me so angry um, because that that poor girl, I think she was 15, if I'm not mistaken, and her parents weren't called she had no one to speak for her so the people that should have been keeping her safe violated her and have traumatized her to the point where she is going to be dealing with that for the rest of her life 
and things like that happening in schools is just horrifying and I it makes me speechless I have no words um yeah yeah it was diabolical really I mean the fact that all that could happen to a child based on an assumption no evidence whatsoever not on her person nor in her bag or anywhere in her clothes so to go that far I think that was too many steps too far and then for her parents to be completely unaware I mean now forever they'll be trying to help her overcome that tragedy there was no prevention put in place to try and protect this child and that's a huge failure um, and I think in response to what you asked Rebecca I mean you're 100% it's so valid for you to say that how can I feel safe sending my child to school and feeling like they'll be safe there and I resonate with that and I don't feel like I could. And I think if there was any concerns, my first step would be to take my child out because like you say, you can bank on schools, you could make it, them aware and then you're banking on them to do something about it, which is the ethical thing to do. It's the right thing to do, but will they do it? Will they have the resources or the means or the transparency to do it the right way? And that's too much of a chance for me. It's too much of a what if. So. I mean, my personal stance on that would be to take my child out at the first sign that I thought they were being bullied, even if it was just to create some space between them and the bully. Yeah. Might just become a homeschooling mum at this point. Yeah, join the gang. I'm waiting <laughs> for you. <laughs> I think in defence of schools, um, a few that I work with actually do run sort of seminars and not seminars workshops on how to prevent bullying and the effects that bullying can have and they run it with students as well and they kind of really go through the effects that it has and how to report it how to prevent it what you can do as a bystander to stop it but unfortunately i think kids are always gonna do what they want to do mm. um and I don't know how much schools can achieve realistically without the help of parents from both um, the parents of the bullies and the parents of the child that's being bullied. As well as the government with the funding cuts that are taking place all the time, schools are becoming more and more restricted in terms of their resources. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> we know that children have, uh, you know, I was reading an article today that was saying that children in uh, Europe, schools in Europe have, are, are the saddest children. Mm -hmm. The rates of sadness, depression amongst children in Europe is, is the worst in the world. So, you know, when do we wake up and start to assess why is that? What needs to change about that? Because this is your future generation. Yeah. So I think the school that you mentioned, you know, they're probably in the minority, but I hope that they can start something that encourages other schools around the country to follow suit and i think that thing that isn't really talked about is what's going on for the bullies because they're learning that behavior somewhere mm -hmm. and what is what has happened to them or what is happening to them in order for them to actually feel that this is an appropriate way to act yeah it must come from somewhere like yeah. the bully themselves are probably hurt or going through something and just projecting that onto some unfortunate victim of theirs. Someone is teaching those bullies to hate and mm -hmm. that violence is okay and you know things like that and I think 
without the mental health support in place for those kids, it's a vicious cycle that they can't break. Yeah. And this is, I think, part of the difficulty for schools, because if the parents of those kids are who is teaching them that this behavior is acceptable or okay or, you know, not punishable or not wrong, then how are they going to learn to stop? Yeah. And I can only imagine how, like, scary this must be for you, Rebecca, talking about sending your daughter to school and kind of worrying about what's going to happen. Um, you can do you can do everything right and she could still be bullied because somebody else's kid, uh, parent isn't isn't doing the right things isn't teaching them yeah. how to behave correctly hmm. so that's, that's i feel sorry sorry Dave, i finished finished i feel hatred comes from a place of ignorance so when people don't understand difference or diversity that's where it comes from and that's where bullying essentially comes from so the more parents or our generation become you know attuned to the fact that there are different people people come from different backgrounds different economic backgrounds they will look different they might have disabilities and to be accepting of those is where that will help with bullying for sure and it's just some people you know children in general can be really like deep like I've had kids come to me and say to me, um, Miss, you look really ill. Are you okay? And I'm like, I'm just not wearing makeup. It's really rude. <laughs> so, you know, kids these days come out with like the most comments, like the most deep comments. Like there was another time where uh, I was obviously visibly pregnant, but the child thought I was fat. He was like, uh, you're getting kind of fat. And I was like, thank you. So, you know, obviously he said that to me and that's okay. You know, I'm an adult, but you know, those comments that you make to another child, children take those comments on and it really plays on inside their head. Like my younger brother, he's quite, um, his skin is darker than my skin. Right. And in our community, skin tone is really important for South Asians. I don't know why it does. It baffles me, but he knows that he's dark and he will comment on that. He'll be like, Oh, I look really dark today and things like that and I find that really sad that he's internalized that comment that person and person has made to him so even when it comes to my children if people make those comments and it comes from a negative place where they're trying to hurt my child my child would internalize that and then I don't know how I'm going to you know make it okay for them like these things just go from small and they grow and grow and grow and children just they're not as resilient as they used to be I don't want to say this word, but children are sensitive now. Like the littlest things affect them and it turns into such a big thing for them and they get anxiety and they get panic attacks. And it's all real it's all very real in their heads. I'm not saying it's not real. I'm just saying, you know, how we would have reacted back then when someone made a comment to us is different to how our children will react when someone makes a comment to them. Do you think that could be because of the way that um everything has changed since we were kind of growing up and going through it all definitely like my parents didn't mollycoddle me it was very much just man up and do it yourself like it was and whereas okay maybe I do mollycoddle my children a little bit but you know it comes from a place of love that I love my children and you know I want to parent them a bit differently to how my parents parented me but I don't know I don't know how how do you build resilience in a child we talked about this in another podcast didn't we we did, we did. We did, yeah. There's some key takeaways um, 
that that keep coming up for me you know in our in our podcast on reflection i i see that so much of the work starts in the home and that's yeah. something that we tend to touch on, on on every podcast which is a really yeah. really beautiful reminder for me first and foremost as a mother that that work starts with me in the home and yes there yeah. are external factors but at least the safe haven needs to remain intact which is the home um and then following through from that in terms of resilience I sometimes wonder, I feel like it's, it's like a, you know, it's a two-sided coin. It's like on one hand, are children more sensitive now or are they just more aware? Because when we were growing up, we, I feel like I didn't have a different option. I didn't have a different choice. Whereas, yeah. and I also didn't have social media. I didn't have internet. So my life was a lot simpler. So I don't know. I, I always wonder that, is it that I grew up in a different time? What's your, what's your thoughts on this? Okay, don't give away our age to the people. Just grew up <laughs> yeah. in a different time, making it sound like we're in our 50s. Okay, well, I mean, we're now of the age where we're having kids. So, you know, it's... it's you know. Okay, we get it. We're old, we're old now, guys. <laughs> no, I'm old. You guys are still young. You're fine. Um, <laughs> but You're not old. I know. Um, I was just going to say that the phrase man up is probably one of the most toxic things that <laughs> ever came out of our of our parents mouths really um i feel like sorry rebecca i feel like we were taught to bottle the emotions to not show what we're feeling to act a certain way because appearance was what mattered you didn't air your dirty laundry you didn't talk to anyone you hit the nail on the head with that one and I think protect the reputation exactly and i think now as our age group has grown up listening to all of that a lot of people are like, well, actually, that was rubbish. I don't want to put my kids through the same thing. Yeah. So we're teaching the, the next generation that it's okay to cry, that it's okay to be sad, that it's okay to show your emotions. And yes, it is making them more sensitive, but in the sense that they're more comfortable to come and talk to their parents. They're more comfortable to come and open up and say, I'm sad. And I think that will although they're dealing with anxiety and depression a lot more as children now, that will make them into better rounded adults. Because there are, I have adult clients as well as a counsellor, and a lot of them are now, I think the oldest client I've had is like almost 80. But I've had people in like their 60s, 50s, 40s coming to me now and being like, all of the stuff that they never processed as kids is coming up now and it's affecting them as adults. So they're dealing with all of that, all of those emotions that they could never deal with. Um, like grown men processing the fact that they are sad, but they've never been able to say that out loud. And now it's coming out. So I think, although the kids now are, I think it's really healthy that the kids now are processing those emotions instead of bottling them up and dealing with them 10, 20, 30 years down the line. Yeah. Mm. Before you forget your train of thought, please talk. I was just going to say that um, the other day, my teacher was saying that the only way through it is to feel it. And that stuck with me. That I didn't, growing up, I, I wasn't taught that. I wasn't taught that the only way through it was to feel it. And it makes sense because when I sit with my child and allow them to process the emotion, name it, they're over it they're over it in a few minutes I feel sometimes it's just so straightforward but when I try to resist it it just grows right it grows for them because they don't feel seen they don't feel heard 
And so it becomes a bigger issue to deal with. So I, I've stuck that into my brain and I shall put it up on my mirror somewhere that the only way through it is to feel it. You've got to feel those difficult emotions so that you can grow from them and overcome them, inshallah. And oh please, Rebecca, I hope you remember what you were going to say. I'd love to <laughs> I don't remember what I was going to um, say. Yeah. <laughs> but on that note, I think the takeaway from this lovely podcast with Sabina is it starts at home. How you tackle bullying is by raising the next generation with good morals, good mannerisms, and un understanding that people are different. And hopefully that essentially will reduce bullying. Um, and on that note, my children are knocking on the door. So I think we wrap this up today. So shall I sign out? Shall, shall I sign off or table? Do you want to do it? Yeah, I'm happy to do it. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Sabina. Um, it's been such a pleasure having you on the podcast with me and Rebecca, and we hope that we can get you on again in the near future. It's been lovely to join you guys, and thank you very much for having me. And thank you to all our listeners for tuning in. It's your host, Deba and Rebecca, signing out. Salam alaikum. Bye. Thanks, bye, guys.